Hello and welcome back to Finding Your Niche. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with a well-known name in the CPG space. His name is Justin Gold, and he is the founder behind the famous brand Justin's, which makes high-quality nut butters that you can find just about anywhere you shop. In today's episode, we talked about his founding story, what he's done to find his people out in Colorado, and what the future holds for him and his brand. Here's the story. I hope you enjoy. Well, Justin, thank you for joining me today. Um, my aunt was very excited for this one uh i i was over at her house this last weekend <laughs> and actually you know what one second my mom was excited too i'll be right back we're still we're still we're still live justin hold on my mom was excited about this one and she went to the store and we had to do this i do this whenever i have cpg people on i got some obviously oh cool i got some butter yeah Target so i liked some. yeah i i like the um I like the vanilla one. I've been munching on that one the last yeah, few days. Tooth. Yep, I, I am definitely a sweet tooth. Um, the regular almonds, I think this would go really good in a smoothie, just the regular one. But um, anyways, nut butter. Um, I, Justin, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about who you are and introduce yourself to the audience. So the floor is yours. I introduce myself, sure. So let's see, where do I start? I am, um, my name's Justin. I started a nut butter company, gosh, almost 20 some years ago now <clears throat> out of Boulder, Colorado. And uh, I uh, grew up in Western Pennsylvania. I grew up near Pittsburgh. And uh, my dad was a dentist and my mom, you know, was a uh, speech pathologist and then she uh, did some hearing and then she had a natural foods company that her father started that she worked at for a little bit and so i and i grew up in a small town and, uh, and i really credit to growing up in a small town near pittsburgh in western pennsylvania right outside of pittsburgh that um really gave me my my motivations right grew up in a small town it was you know we were outside building forts you know playing in in the wilderness um and i really credit that experience to kind of shaping my life and um and for where i where i live and why i live the way i do now okay so as a as a kid growing up i mean what were some of the things that you were doing that you feel like have, have played out in your um, well ultimately your career the last 20 years gosh there's so many things right i think that um everything from from being forced, you know, out of the house and to not come back until it's dinner time. You have to mm -hmm. be creative and, and find ways to to stay busy and to entertain yourself and you know and use fantasy to create all these fun little you know activities. And um, and then even you know when I was in school, I played sports and I think I really think organized sports are great. Um, team sports just as much as individual sports. Because in, in, in life and in business, right, it's about teamwork. And if you don't know how to work with others and train with others and practice with others and set goals and practice towards those goals and then accept defeat and then celebrate success with mm -hmm. other people, you're going to have a really hard time, you know, building an organization and a team. And so I, I enjoyed team sports a lot. And, uh, and what else can I say about my childhood? I think that, um, they're really just being curious. You know, I was always the kid asking tons of questions and wanted to know how everything worked. 
and um, and I think my curiosity and creativity, but mostly curiosity, is what really I think drove a lot of things that have been super helpful to me. You know, especially now. Did you did you when you were little did you tinker with things like with just objects and and things around the house? Did you play with them to trigger try to figure out how they worked, or were you more? Of, it sounded like you asked a lot of questions. Yeah, I would say I was a tinkerer. You know, I would, um, gosh, I kind of got in a lot of trouble, but not like <laughs> doing bad things, but just not following the rules, right? Yeah. And and I kind of live my life where I only follow the rules that make sense. Now, clearly mm. to me, right? I'm going right. to, I would never do something that would hurt someone or that would cause, you know, pain or suffering on, you know, on, on someone else. But if there's a rule, that just doesn't make any like doesn't have logic in it. Um, I usually break them, and I kind of feel terrible saying it, but it's true. <laughs> so as a kid, I, I kind of did a lot of that. I um, but like any other kid, like I loved Legos, and so I was always building things. And and I you know I'd go to a friend's house with a box of Legos, and I'd throw them on the floor, and he or she would throw theirs on the floor, and they'd all mix together, and then we'd bake. When it was time to go home, we just grab whatever you wanted and put it back in your box, and and so I thought that was really, um, really great. And today I have little kids and, and they use their imagination as with Legos as well too. But now it's about following the rules and the rules are the book. And, you know, if it's not, you know, in the book, then it doesn't belong. It's just getting them to think outside the book and outside the rules yeah. and, and, you know, and creating things that don't exist. And, and um, it's really fun to, to challenge, you know, kids and yourself to think outside the rules. And, um, and curiosity always kind of really cute, kills me when, you know, like my favorite thing in the world is when people are waiting in line and the line keeps getting longer and longer, but on the other, right next to the line is no line, but everyone's that too afraid is, to go yeah. there because the curiosity, well, I, I don't want to, it's too, yeah, it just blows my mind. And so, you know, I, um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, we're going to, we're going to keep rolling though. I'll bring you, I'll bring you back. So I want to get back to um, your career path. And at one point you're considering going to law school and I'd love to hear more about what pulled you away from that. Yeah. You know, it's really fascinating how, man, there's, and, and you know, you're under the gauntlet of pressure, right? There's mm -hmm. all this, expectation to kind of have it figured out by the time you're in college mm -hmm. before you get to college perhaps of what you want to do and where you want to go and what you want to be when you grow up and all these great things and and a lot of times for some people it's easier right? you know my mom or dad was you know in the air force or was a doctor or was a lawyer and so you just you're predisposed to just you know follow that path because it's really comfortable for you and makes you feel happy and fulfilled and for the and for most of us we honestly don't know and so you get to college and there's this pressure to kind of have it figured out and for me my fundamentally i wanted to do something that would leave a, a positive impact on our natural environment and so i really wanted to find a way where i could conserve, preserve, restore, whatever I could do to have a positive impact. And so for me, I felt like law was a great avenue uh, for multiple reasons. Number one, I felt like I could help write legislation or, or um, uh, support legislation or, or get people to follow rules that they may not agree with, but 
or we're going to help everyone else, you know, in the largest thing, the larger scope, everything from, from water quality to air quality to, um, to even just indigenous, you know, rights and land ownership. And, and I saw, so I thought it'd be a ton of fun. I thought it would be fulfilling. I thought I would be able to, to do good in the world. And then there's a prestige with being a lawyer where I thought it would be a, an honorable career and, and potentially I could, you know, make some money and live a comfortable life. Right. And so, and so then I, uh, I started down the law school path and I was taking environment, uh, environmental studies, American, American law, I'm sorry, American government, uh, constitutional law and all these prereqs and then uh, preparing for the LSATs. And as I'm preparing for the LSATs and taking all of these kind of, um, uh, I don't know, law kind of, kind of classwork, I, um, I just felt disillusioned with, um, with law for a number of reasons, right? That the main reason is, uh, is conflict. And to me, and I was interning an environmental law firm my senior year in Harrisburg and, and law is a great profession and, you know, and, and I work with lawyers all the time because I have to. And, um, but it's always, to me, it feels like we're resolving or creating conflict. And to always have this stress of fighting or defending was just exhausting. And that's just not the type of life that I wanted. And so I, um, and then, uh, then once I, I kind of dug in even deeper, I'm like, man, like here I am upholding, defending, and trying to rewrite rules that were written, you know, with an infrastructure, you know, hundred plus years ago that don't really correlate to the life that I'm and we're living today that I don't really even think I believe in. And, and here I want to uphold, uh, I was like, oh my God, like, it's just, what am I thinking? <laughs> and, and, and I got out, right? And, and, yeah. um, and I was really bummed because I thought I had it figured out. And I thought, I was so excited. Like whenever you know what you want and you can focus and pour your energy into it, it's really exciting. And, and my parents were excited. You know, my mom, just and he's, I'm so proud of him. He's going to be a lawyer. Oh, so he, she doesn't talk like that, but I like to believe that she does. And so, you know, your, your family's really proud. And then, you know, I, I dropped out of the LSAT course and I graduated mm -hmm. the degree in, in environmental studies. And, um, and I was pretty, pretty bummed because I thought that I had it all figured out. And then when I graduated, I just said to myself, you know what? Instead of chasing a job or chasing trying to get back into school, because I felt I felt safe in school and I loved the university and I really wanted to go back to the university because I felt really kind of, you know comfortable there. Right. I'm like, well, well I'm like, all right, well, instead I'm going to flip it on its head. Instead of going to look for the work, I want to go live somewhere where I want to live and I'll find work. And I don't care what it mm. is, I'll find it. Interesting. And so I grew up in I grew up in Pennsylvania. I really. Yep. Thought I belonged in California because I, um, you know, I have long hair, but I don't listen to the Grateful Dead or Fish. I listen to kind of like, you know, heavy metal, you know, more rock music. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, I look like I probably do a lot of drugs, but I'm pretty straight edge. <laughs> you know, I don't do allegedly, any, really allegedly, anything. maybe I'll, allegedly, I'll drink. Yeah, no one. I better not ever run for office. And then, um, allegedly. and so like I, I just, you know, and. And I, I I like to exercise, and I'm outside all the time, yeah. and um 
and I just didn't know where I belonged. And so, you know, I kind of felt like I was a freak. Like there was no one else like me living in Pennsylvania, eating natural foods and being organic and wanting to save the environment and having long hair, but, you know, lifting weights and playing basketball and, and you know, and listening to heavy metal. And, and I just I felt like a freak. And so one of my friends is like, dude, you know where all the freaks are? Like they're in San Francisco. That's where your people are in California. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, let's go look for my people. So I, and the, truthfully, I just want to get out of Pennsylvania because I, I never and, left and I was ready to, to, to travel. Go ahead. Just, I, want, I want to pause right here because I just had a conversation about this and I think it's really pertinent. Um, one thing that we were talking about in my last conversation was a lot of people feel like they're on this island and that they are a freak. And you mentioned like, I, I feel like I'm a freak here in Pennsylvania and they have no idea what to do about it. But I'm so glad, and I'm sure you are too, that you stepped out and you you went on that journey to find where your people are. Cause there's, we were talking about, there's literally like seven and a half billion people on the planet. There's going to be somebody similar to you somewhere. You just got to find yeah, it. So anyways, you have anyways continue. No. Yeah. No, but it, it's so true. You know, I, um, you know, I grew up in a town where you either never leave or you mm -hmm. never go back, right? And once you leave, you're like, holy crap, there's a, a whole world out here. Um, and, and, and my town that I grew up in is great. You know, it's just, I'm very grateful that I got the chance to see a little more. So anyway, so I'm in California, I'm living in the Bay Area, and, um, and I found a job waiting tables. Nice. <laughs> and... Um, and I was there for about a year. It was actually just like a, maybe a few months, not even maybe a few weeks. I'm living in the city, staying at hostels and people's couches. Just graduated, and and I, and I, and while I'm in San Francisco, right, like I met some really freaky people, and I realized that I'm pretty square, right? I, yeah. I, I don't have some like really weird <laughs> things going on. I'm pretty, pretty, you know, run of the mill kind of guy. And so, and so I, I really enjoyed California and, and I realized, hey, the ocean is, is really awesome and beautiful. And I found a, a small town called Point Reyes where okay. I lived for about a, about a year north, north of the city and waited tables there. And, and then, you know, and then when my, after about a year, I was like, all right, well, I love it here, but my mountains, the mountains are my calling. So I think my people were in the mountains. So let's start exploring the mountains. And, uh, and then I also said to myself, well, you know, I want to set myself up for success. So I want to live somewhere that's near the mountains, but also has a university either in the town or really close by because I want to get residency. Because if I decide to go back to school and something inspires me and I'm ready to go back to school, I want to make sure that, I, you know, I'm setting myself up. So I looked at um, uh, Bozeman, Missoula. I looked at Boulder and I looked at Boise. And, um, and mostly just these mountain kind of, you know, bigger towns. And, and a buddy of mine went to, went to CU Boulder, went to a graduate school out here. And he's like, dude, Boulder's great. You're close to the mountains. There's a cool town here. The farmer's market's really big. And, you know, you should start here. And I was like, all right, I don't know anyone in Boulder, but I'll start there. Sounds great. <laughs> and so I, um, I, I got to Boulder and found a job immediately waiting tables, which was nice. And, uh, and I found my people. You know, like I just, I found people who, who love to be outside and who were, you know, athletes in their own way, you know, not just a, a very scripted, like, you know, the, the, to be an athlete, you must perform well at these three things. They did, you know, they were skiing and mountain biking and climbing and kayaking and doing all these 
high athletic pursuits that involved, you know, a lot of skill and athleticism. And then, and then they, you know, took care of their bodies and people were really curious about the food they eat and curious about what they put in their body and where their clothes came from. And, and I love that sense of curiosity. And, um, and then it was just a really, you know, beautiful place. And so, all right, well, I'm going to stick around here. And, and then I was just waiting for something to basically motivate me to get purpose and inspiration to go back to school. And, and I knew that with my environmental policy, um, undergraduate degree, it was a great entry level degree to get me really into, into anything, but it didn't give me enough, um, what's the right word here? Enough, I don't know, credibility or enough. Clout. Um, yeah, I, I guess it may be experience or education to, to really like focus in on something. And so I figured yeah. I would, you know, when something inspired me, I'd go back. What and were you thinking of going you know, back to school I, um, for? It, it sounds like you're super focused on like making sure you got back into a university somewhere. What, why, what was the, the drive there? I think it's familiarity and, and sense of comfort. I feel like yeah. my grandma instilled in me that, you know, you can never have too much education and you can never learn mm -hmm. too much. And so I really figured that the more I learned, the more doors that would open for me. And um, and what I and what I did learn about college, which I'm really grateful for, is I don't think an undergraduate degree teaches you how to work in a career, right? Um, a trade school would, and those are, they're fantastic. And um, an MBA or or a CPA or some kind of you know focus might or would after you graduate. But what a four year degree does is teaches you how to think. It teaches you how to take information, how to organize that information, and how to display or recite or um, explain that information, really. And I think that's all really fundamental, and I think it's really important. And so, so when I, so I was really glad that I had my degree, but I felt like I needed more. And so I'm, I'm working uh, in Boulder, I'm waiting tables, and uh, and I'm living with probably three or four roommates, and. Uh, and, you know, we were living on a shoestring. And so mm -hmm. I was eating and being really active and being outdoors and being a vegetarian. You know, I, I started, I became a vegetarian when I was in college. And, uh, and I didn't really even really even know that being a vegetarian was a thing, right? I just, you just grow up eating whatever is in front of you. And you don't really ask where it came from or complain, you just eat it. And even though I did complain, I didn't want to eat everything. And uh, <clears throat> so anyways, I'm in college. And we went and, and what I loved, what I loved about my university was we did all these amazing field trips and we traveled all over, you know, the area and we visited uh, landfills, which I'm obsessed with. We visited wastewater treatment facilities. We visited um, power plants. We visited a coal power plant. We visited a three mile island, which was a nuclear power plant that almost had a, a meltdown in Pennsylvania near Philly or no, sorry, near Harrisburg. And we visited dairy farms and we visited meatpacking facilities and we visited, we visited the meatpacking plant you know the whole class came back vegetarian right like there was there's no exceptions and then after you know about a week people started to you know slowly start eating meat again mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, i just mm -hmm. stopped eating it and i just didn't miss it you know and it wasn't it wasn't this big 
it, it means a lot of things. The first thing was I just didn't miss it. Some people are like, oh my God, it's been like three days without a cheeseburger. Oh my, oh, who, wants, who wants to go out and get a cheeseburger, you know? And I was like, no, man, I'm good. Like, I just, I don't, I don't miss it. I don't need it. And what was funny is I ended up, <clears throat> um, you know, like just feeling healthier. I just felt better. My body felt better. I slept better. My mind was clearer. And so I just stopped eating meat and never really looked back. And so then, you know, living in Colorado and being a vegetarian and always being outdoors and outside, mm -hmm. I was eating a lot of peanut butter because peanut butter yep. is cheap protein, right? Not that, that almond butter stuff. You got to be careful. You, <laughs> you don't put almond butters in your smoothie. That's an expensive smoothie. Hey, it tastes good, though. It tastes mom, good. I said thank you. I will. I will. <laughs> and so, and so I... um. You know, I was just eating a lot of peanut butter and it, and it was curiosity, right, Jake? So you're at the grocery store, you know, 20 whatever years ago, and you're like, all right, let me get this straight. There are 30 different types of jam, preserves, jellies, whatever, because there's so many different kinds. And there's two types of peanut butter, 30, <laughs> and then there's, there's smooth and there's crunchy. Like, I don't understand it. What What, what am I missing? And then you're like, all right, wait, wait, wait. So let me get straight. I eat a handful of almonds and it tastes amazing. But when I buy the one brand of almond butter in the store, it tastes terrible. And it's, I, I, why, 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 why? How hard is it to make peanut butter? Oh, look, you can grind your own right there in the store. You grind some peanut butter. That was pretty easy. How hard can this be? Then you go home and you, and you figure out, okay, I just need a food processor. So then I started like adding all these ingredients and peanuts and almonds and Yep. And yep. I didn't just add ingredients and just kind of fool around. I was like, all right, let's make this a project. So I had a little, I had a little book. Where's my book? Oh, it's upstairs. So I had, I had a book and I'll take my book and I'd write down, you know, version, you know, version one. And I would be like, okay, peanuts and honey, two ingredients. How hard can this be? Ah, let's put some salt in there. Three ingredients. How hard can this be? And before you know it, you're like, all right, well, that was too salty. That was too sweet. That's not sweet enough. That was I don't touch any salt in it. You, just, you know, one, three, three items can be like 13 or 14 recipes. And then you're adding cinnamon and then you're adding, you know, um, almonds and cashews and chocolate syrup and whatever else you can find in the house. And you're like, all right, well, bananas. Why does anyone put bananas in peanut butter? Hold, you know, and you're like, all right, mm -hmm. I'm going to get fresh bananas. You take fresh bananas and you put it in and, and you, oh, this is delicious. Wow. And you leave it out and the next day you, you go to eat some more and you're like, oh my God, what happened? This is terrible. You know, and you're like, all right, well, let's try dried banana. Let's try freeze dried banana. Let's try banana syrup, banana, you know, everything. And, and I just yeah. like keeping track of it and having fun. And, and my roommates thought it was totally a hoot and they'd, you know, laugh and, and we, you know, try yeah. them. And, and then I'd put all these experiments, you know, in like the cupboard and the fridge and all these places. And they started finding their favorites and finishing the jars and i had to start writing like justin's or do not touch um, you know all this, over them this this might be uh justin might be a little beyond your time but in the early 2000s there was a a movie put out on by disney called eddie's million dollar cook-off i think it's a little beyond your time but anyways there's a scene from it and i don't he's, know he's uh he's gonna be in a competition to compete against Bobby Flay or, or something like that. And there's a scene at like 11 o'clock at night and he's down in his kitchen and he's mixing like a hundred different things together. And then at the end of it, he puts it all on, a, on two pieces of bread and it's like a, a peanut butter, jelly, 
Skittles, M&M, and a bunch of different things sandwiched. But anyways, your story just reminded me of that. And I think everybody that's seen that movie is going to resonate with that really well. And they'll probably think of that when, you're, when you were talking. <laughs> but anyways, go There's ahead. So much fun, I know where this yeah. is going. Go ahead. Well, I mean, no, I mean, I, I think that fundamentally, you know, that's the fun part, right? It's creative part. Mm -hmm. It's it's fun to uh, explore and, and create and use your ideas and and test your ideas out on people. And food is is so fabulous because you get an instant reaction from someone, right? It's not you don't have to like go home and plant it or or wear it for a week or you know instantly you can get a reaction. And everyone has an opinion about food, and so what was interesting was my roommates really encouraged me. Hey, have you ever thought about turning this into a business? Like, have you ever thought about mm -hmm. selling these at the store, or the farmer's market? And, and literally I was just like, um, uh, kind of, but you know, how do you do that? You know? And, and I was like, well, you know, I guess, you know, you know, business plan. I keep people always, I think I learned that in college or someone mentioned like a business plan is where I should start. I'm like, all right, well, how you write a business plan? Well, I, I don't know. And this is kind of before you know Google had you know everything all over all over the internet, and you could find all this pretty easily now, which is fantastic. And so, um, but the one thing I really loved that I miss, and I still do love, and I do it all the time, is with a library. And wouldn't you know it? Living in a college town had its benefits because CU, Colorado University here in Boulder, has a business school. And in the business school, the business library, and the library has a full selection of resources. It has everything from LexisNexis, where I can pull out articles on, you know, all these entrepreneurs and people, to, you know, literally there's a whole encyclopedia of business plans from A to Z, where real life businesses that were um, successful, they submitted their business plans and they put them into these encyclopedias, and those encyclopedias were um, were in the school and I could literally be like, oh, look, here's a tomato canning company. That's interesting. Instead of, you know, cans, I use jars. Instead of tomatoes, I use peanuts and, you know, labels a label. And it kind of fundamentally got me to understand, you know, how to how to build, you know, a, a cog spreadsheet and how to look for margin and, and what type of manufacturing questions I should have. And and I kind of slowly started, started to lay out this business plan. And, and no kidding, like as I'm on like the first section of the plan, right? What type of business entity do you want to be? And this is like lawyer stuff. I don't, I don't want to get into any of this. It's like you want to be a C corp, an S corp, an LLC, yeah. a sole proprietorship, you know, a partnership. And I'm just like, oh, like I have no idea. And I'm sure it's really important to pick one and pick the right one. And I'm like, well, I wonder if there's anyone in the Boulder community who started a food company and I would just ask them and get their feedback and input. And what was really fascinating was not only were there a lot of famous, really successful companies in the natural food industry in Boulder, but how forthright people were at wanting to, to help and to share their story. And, um, and everything from, you know, developing a UPC to, to becoming organic, to, you know, finding the FDA food labeling laws and, to finding, you know, how to how to create a, a nutrition panel, to how to find manufacturing locations and distribution, and how to get into Whole Foods, and all of these these questions that I had, which were very very specific to a food product, I could find right here, and I found a, people from from Silk, which is you know White Wave, 
Yep. From Horizon Organic Dairy, from Izzy Soda, Rudy's Organic Bread, Celestial Seasonings, which kind of started the movement here. And at the same time, you know, um, Nusi Yogurt was developing and Choco Love was developing. And so I really had this great family of, of brands and people to help me. And that's when I really kind of understood the importance, A, of asking for help. Generally, people want to help, you know, and B, you know, surrounding myself with people who were much smarter than I am and, and who had something that I wanted, who were basically mentors. And to this day, I still have a whole, now I have a network of mentors and every mentor provides something unique in their own way to help guide me in my life. And they don't even know they're my mentors. They're just good people who, who want to be helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this, this is the early days of Justin's that you're at right now in your story. Um, at the same time, I'm assuming you were still working another job, probably as a server somewhere. So at, at what point did you realize that mm. this was going to be the main thing? And at what point did you actually take the jump and pull out of the other job or jobs that you were working? It's weird, brother. So I, um, God, I always knew it was going to be successful. I don't know why or how, but I just did. And I, um, but I didn't act like it, right? I knew in my heart and knew in my mind, this was a good idea. And, and I just had to get out there quickly. But it wasn't like, burn the ship, let's party, woo! You know, it was like, all right, well, you know, what am I going to do to protect myself? And so, um, so I, I honestly had one, two, three, five coworkers or employees, and I was still working. And, um, and I paid everyone first in the company. I paid myself last. Because the way I looked at it is if I can employ people and pay them first and pay them a good living wage then they're going to gr- help me grow this company and which is ultimately going to benefit at the end of the day me so i want to make sure that they're happy and they're taken care of and i'll i'll find a way to take care of myself and so i was waiting tables and then with the waiting tables was was really hard it, it really um it took a ton of energy and a ton of time and i was always exhausted and so i wanted to switch gears and but i still needed a part-time job and so I decided I wanted to find a job that was part-time and I wanted to do something that I've always wanted to do. And I said to myself, I said, Gold, my last name's Gold. So when I ever talk to myself in first person and third person, it's always Gold. I'm like, Gold, what would be a dream job to have as your last job working for somebody else, right? (laughs) And and seriously, Jake, like, think about it. What would be your dream job? And I was like, well, you know, I'm too old to work at an ice cream scoop shop, so that probably won't work out. Uh, movie theater would be fun, but that'd be kind of boring. Oh, man, I want to work at, at, at like REI. I want to work at an adult toy store. That didn't sound good either. I want to work at a sporting <laughs> goods store for, uh, for toys. That, well, for that's, that's a different activities. kind of dream. That's a different kind of dream, Justin. We're <laughs> <laughs> a nightmare brothers. Yeah, well, man. And so, uh, and so I... Um, so I wanted to work at REI. I wanted to work at an outdoor gear store. And, uh, and so I, I applied and I, um, and I got a job at REI and I wore a green vest and I worked at customer service and I, you know, got to, you know, take back shoes and, and, uh, and, you know, work on the ski, on the, on skis and camping and all that fun stuff. And, 
And I took the job really serious and I loved it. And I was really good at it. And I love learning about the gear and I love learning about the activities and the places to go. And you'd come in and people are excited to be there. You know, they're going to go on adventure and they want to gear up for the adventure. And so I really enjoyed that atmosphere. And it was, it was a dream for me. And then I, then I made a goal. Cause once I was at, once I was at REI, I said, okay, I'm going to success for me is when I can sell my products to REI and then REI has to fire me out of a, you know, basically, a, um, God, oh, Jesus, what is it, Jake? A uh, conflict of not interest. interference, but it's a uh, conflict of interest. Yeah. And then REI has to let me go. That would be great. You know, that was kind of like my goal. And uh, and so then I was working part time at REI and, and REI was, was great because I got full benefits, mm-hmm. health benefits at part time. Oh, wow. And, okay. and so I'm working at REI and I'm working at Justin's. And, um, and I was able to make make it work for about almost five years. I worked at both Justin's and REI. And then when I had, you know, over five employees, I left and did Justin's full time because I got our products into REI. I was able to pay myself, you know, thirty or forty thousand dollars, which is just just is all that I needed, you know, to live where I was. And it was mm-hmm. it was pretty neat. It, it felt really special when I was able to. Um, to set a goal and accomplish it like that. Mm-hmm. And well, fast forward <laughs> the last 20 years, I mean, Justin's has obviously seen a, a ton of growth and congratulations to you and your team, by the way, for pulling that off and, and bootstrapping it through the first few years. Um, very, <laughs> very impressive. Um, I, I gotta ask about uh, time management, just out of personal interest for myself, because. I know with a fast growing brand like that, there's probably unlimited amount of hours you could probably work on it. And I'm curious to hear what you've done to prioritize personal time and family time amidst all of that. Ooh, that's a loaded question. So let's let's just kind of be honest about it, right? So I don't care how old you are or how many kids you have, if you're starting a company, if you're gonna, you know, take the plunge and and go for it, there's no balance at the beginning, right? It's yeah. it's 110 percent. It's it's all in all the time to make it work. Now that doesn't mean you still can't do some of the things you love, like sleep or eat or <laughs> you know go on a run or something, but you have to make sacrifices, right? And you and those sacrifices are staying late getting up early, you know, um, working over the weekend, whatever it is. And so when I first started, I, I, I felt very lucky because I didn't have children. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a dog. So I had the freedom and flexibility to, um, you know, to, 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 to drive somewhere to do an event over a weekend, to hand out, you know, samples, to, to do a farmer's market, to, to stay up all night, you know, working on, a new recipe or, you know, rewriting the business plan for the 30th time. And so I could do all that. And then you get to a point where one of two things happen, right? Either either you feel like that you've, you've made enough success where you can fold in more, you know, fun things in your life. And that can be in, you know, a few months or a few years. It really depends on you personally, on, on the business personally. 
And so you either figure out, okay, well, I can take a deep breath. I set out what I need to do. I'm going to, you know, find, find a way to balance and to juggle more activities, or <clears throat> you're going to go crazy. And you, you're like, holy, and you get to a point where you're like, okay, if I don't take the day off, if I don't take the weekend off, I'm going to go totally insane. I'm going to do something I'll regret. So then you have to kind of know your own, your own balance and then your, um, and the needs of the business. But it's really hard. When you first start, there's, there really isn't any balance. And then you either achieve it or you have to find it. Now, with that said, you know, I would still, you know, find time to, you know, I, I live in Colorado and I chose to live here. So for me, you know, I can go ride my bike for two hours or for, you know, an hour, go on a hike or a trail run and feel recharged and feel great. You know, I'm not, you know, driving for a long weekend somewhere. It's right in my backyard. And I think mm -hmm. being in Colorado and having that sense of freedom to be outside um, was really helpful. And do you still live in Boulder? Yes, love Boulder. You do? Okay, cool. Yeah, I have a, a friend or two that goes to school out there. And it's, I, I haven't been to Boulder, but uh, another friend of mine goes to the Air Force Academy. So I've spent a lot of time down in Colorado Springs. And then um, we went skiing in yeah. the mountains a couple of times at, at Breck. Um, so absolutely love it out in Colorado. Also considering living there at some point, just like yourself. So, um, yeah, great. I do, I do want to ask, um, about you selling Justin. So in 2016, um, Justin's was sold and I want to hear a little bit about the motivation behind that. Yeah. So difference, right? There's a, there's a difference. Justin's wasn't sold. Justin's was okay. bought, right? Big difference um, on, on, a, on a lot of, a lot of reasons. And so if you, uh, I always tell entrepreneurs, your goal isn't to build a business that you're going to go out, out, out there someday and sell. Your mm -hmm. goal is to build a business that someone's going to want to come along and buy, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't start Justin's thinking, okay, well, if I just, you know, make a food product, and then, you know, on 2016, on the on three o'clock, I'm going to go out there and, and see who, and try to sell it, you know, it's, mm -hmm. dang it. And someone's going to pay a lot of money for it. You know, you, you just build a great business and, and if the time's right for you and the time's right in the universe, someone will come and want to buy it. Now it doesn't always work like that, but that's where you start. Mm -hmm. Right. And some, it's, at some point you may have had. I know, a dental practice and you've been practicing dentistry for 40 years and you want to retire and now you want to retire. And so now you go out and try to sell it. Right. But, mm -hmm. but I, I could have never, Justin's could have never been bought and I'd still be, you know, running it day to day and would still love that. And so what happened was, you know, two things. Number one is I took private equity money, which okay. <clears throat> which was a circumstance of how I wanted to grow the business. And the reason why I did that was when I, and, and, I, and I, this will all come back to how Justin's was bought. Yeah. So when I, so in 2002-ish, three-ish, I kind of started. And then by 2004-ish, we had a jars. And then by 2008-ish, we had squeeze packs. And so 2008, 2009 changed everything because the squeeze pack 
was really an, a first for the category, was extremely innovative. And I had this healthy sense of paranoia that if I didn't grow this fast and be first, that it, someone else would just do it and steal it. I couldn't protect peanut butter. I couldn't protect the squeeze. I was the first person to kind of like put together and, and sell it and market it commercially. And so there was no IP, there's no protection. So I knew that anyone could do this. And I, and, you know, and I wanted to be first. And, and that sense of, I don't want to call it fear, but let's just say paranoia, you know, drove a really important decision. And that decision was, if I'm going to grow fast, I need to hire seasoned professionals to come into my organization and help me run this faster than I would. Because I'm going to make a lot of mistakes trying to figure this out where I can hire someone who's going to be expensive. And they've already made a lot of those mistakes and we'll make more mistakes together and that's okay, but we won't make any big ones together, hopefully. And, um, and so I, 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 so first thing is I raised money from angel investors and I found angel mm -hmm. investors here locally. And then the second thing, and as the company was growing and continued to be successful and you went to grow into Walmart and grow into Target and grow into Kroger and keep growing into Whole Foods and launch new products and new categories, that all costs money. And you need the money to, to buy into the store. You know, buying into a store is one case for is free per store, per item. And that adds up. You know, how many, how many targets are there? A few thousand targets, you know, that adds up. Almond butter ain't cheap, you know? And so, <laughs> so all that led to me having to raise money. And mm -hmm. when you raise money, right, there's, guess what? Like you gotta pay the people back. And so there's yep. an expectation there that at some point the business, you know, is gonna pay that person back. Now it doesn't mean you have to sell the business. You can take out bank debt. You can use cash flow to pay people back over time. There's a lot of different ways you can, you know, Pay, pay off your investors. And as we're running the business and we had peanut butter cups and squeeze packs and all these fun stuff going on, um, we were doing really, really well and we and we continue to do well. And and people were noticing us and they were like, hey, you know, have you ever thought about selling? Oh, never. You know, this is we're having way too much fun. And mm -hmm. um, and the guys at Hormel who own Skippy came by and they're like, hey, we really like what you're doing. We'd love to talk about no, 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 no. And, um, and maybe it was psychological, but they kept coming back. And when they came back again, I said, okay, wait, wait, before you say no, just why are you, why, why would you say no? Like, what are the fears that you have about us buying your business? And I said, well, it's easy. Number one, you know, you guys, I don't think value natural and organic. So you're not going to offer you know, the value money-wise that this company is worth. And then I think you're just going to change the brand. You're going to use cheaper ingredients and you're going to, you know, degrade um, the mission, vision, and values that we stand for. And that's not why I built this. I don't want to watch that happen. And I said, aha, well, what if we told you that we love what you're doing because we want to learn and, it's, and some of it's different from what we're doing. And, and we, that's kind of the space we want to grow as an organization. So we'll just accelerate all of that and we'll give you and you and your investors this much money. And I was like, wow. And I can continue to, to, to stay on at Justin's and run it and, and keep growing it and get all, get all my investors out of the business. And they're like, yeah, you know, we, this is, this is the future we want, which is the same future that I want. And so, um, and so they came along, they, they bought us and they paid, you know, um, they paid a, a, a really fair, good value for what we we're doing. And um, and they and they reinforced what we're already doing, which I'm really proud of. Right? 
And but you know, let's be honest with ourselves. At the end of the day, we have to perform, right? And so, mm-hmm. big, so if 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 consumers aren't buying natural and organic, or if Justin's doesn't meet their you know their need for on price expectation or quality expectations or packaging expectations, and they don't buy our products and they buy other products, or Mel has the right to do whatever they want with this company, which you know I may not agree with and might break my heart. But if we continue to make products that we think consumers want, which are high quality, you know, sustainable, natural and organic, highly conscious, you know, to a point where we're, you know, giving away and supporting a lot of nonprofits and charities, we care about pollinators, we care about palm oil, we care about pesticides, we care about feeding, you know, hungry nations and people here in our own communities. If those consumers continue to show up and buy our products because they taste good and do good, I think we're going to be just fine. We just kind of keep yeah. doing that. Now, if consumers yeah, decide they don't want those things and they don't buy our products, then we will be in trouble. And guess what? If we were owned by a big company or owned by ourselves, we'd still be in trouble. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me because I, I think a lot of people think about the acquisition process as a way to exit a company. And from a lot of the interviews that I've done so far, um, a lot of people that do get acquired, they decide to stay on. Um, all of them. Like, like you have. Oh, they do? And it, it, not, not all of them, but a lot, a lot of them have. Um, and the interesting thing is they don't see it as an exit strategy. They see it as a growth strategy. So for you, I, I think it was interesting because you now have access to all of Hormel's distribution across the globe. Um, and, and all of the resources of the company, most likely. And I don't know what, what your your deal looks like with them, but for somebody I was talking with today, it was a really similar situation. Um, they got acquired by a much larger company. They stayed on and it enabled them to grow exponentially and, and see the growth and, and see the impact that their business has in the rest of the world. And so I think it's just really fascinating. A lot of people think about it as an exit strategy, whereas the, most of the time, the people that are running the show see it as a way to grow the business and have a bigger impact. Yeah, that, that's, that's extremely observant. And that is, that is true. And I think it's, it's fascinating too, because I think it really shows the motivations behind the founders and or management teams, right? Because if they sell the company and immediately leave the company, this is all about money. Right. It's just about mm-hmm. making money. And that's fine. If you can find a way to do good and build a great business that, that helps humanity and helps the environment. I mean, and, and, and then you get burned out and you want to move on to something else. That's great. Hopefully it wasn't all about the money, you know, and, yeah. and, and for the founders who stay on because now they have all these resources and, and greater opportunities to hopefully do good and drive change and drive awareness. That's powerful. You know, that's really awesome. And, uh, and, and I hope that I can, you know, do something else someday and do all kinds of fun stuff. And, and right now I'm, I'm really tied to a lot of nonprofits here that are all around basically wilderness areas and how we can, you know, educate people to interact in wilderness areas and, and protect these lands so that way they're here for future generations. And that I'm really passionate about that. And then I sit on a bunch of boards and help a lot of other natural food companies and uh, and love sharing all the information that was shared to me. Yeah, awesome. Well, I know we're like way, way over time, so I wanna respect your time here. 
And I want to ask you two questions to close this out. And you're alluding to the, the first one. Um, so first of all, what what's next for you and your career and your personal life? And then um, secondly, if there's anything that you'd want to leave people listening with today, what would that be? Yeah. So let's ask the second question again in a moment. So I don't forget it, Jake. I think um, what's next for me is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's wild. You know, I, um, I, I, I want to do a lot. I want to do everything. Right. And it's so friggin' hard. It comes back to time management. I want to be an amazing father. I want to be an amazing husband. I want to be a great citizen in my community and, you know, and, and fight for the things that I think are important. I want to volunteer. And I have been volunteering a lot at, at nonprofits here. You know, there's, there's several nonprofits, um, one around hunger relief in, um, in Pine Ridge specifically called Conscious Alliance that I think is really important. Um, I don't think it's fair the way we've treated a lot of the natives of this land that I think that we can do better. And the first thing we need to do is make sure that um, the, the children have food and the elders have food. And, and they, that way they can go to school and take care of each other. And the other ones are on wilderness areas. And there's a, a nonprofit up here that wants to build a nature center educate people on how to interact in nature and everyone's moving to colorado which is fantastic but if you don't know how to take care of all these wilderness lands they're not going to be here and so i'm really inspired and excited because it's giving me purpose to really help those organizations i really want to see justin's continue to grow and to be one of those brands that i continue to be proud of and that you know is, is a beacon for other big you know other food companies um, my ultimate you know, dream would be that, you know, Hormel learns as much from us as we learn from them. And, um, and if we can really kind of what we like to call infect the host and get them <laughs> to make changes mm-hmm. on things that, um, that we think are fundamentally important, man, that would be, that'd be incredible. And, 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 and it will happen. And the way it happens is we have to be successful. And if we're successful, it's validation that this is what, you know, the future of consumerism is and then you know i want to challenge myself i want to you know climb tall mountains and ski really gnarly lines and travel to remote areas and you know learn to ride a unicycle and you know all that all the the fun silly stuff that you know is when you're a kid you want to do and then you get in your 40s and you're like holy shit i still haven't done that like i gotta i gotta start you know it's not a bucket list per se not that old, but I'm getting there. But it's yeah, just stuff yeah. that you've always wanted to do, you know, and and read a lot of books and learn another language and you know, and go hunting and all the other things that you know I think would be really cool. And then, you know, to your last question, um, remind me again. Well, so before I ask you again to learn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you brought right. up something really important there. And there's only so much time in, in your life, but you you can do literally anything you want but you can't do everything you want and uh, i'll ask the question again um it was if you could share one piece of advice with anybody or or just anything that you're passionate about um, what would it be wait a wait a minute you dropped some pretty fancy wisdom there you can do (laughs) anything anyone yeah you can't do everything that you want right I'm gonna challenge that. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge that. I think that's awesome. That's actually really insightful. Um, wow, can I do everything that I want? 
it's probably illegal in most states and countries. So maybe not everything. You're right. Okay, Jake, you got one on. <laughs> I did. I did. All right. So the one piece of advice that I would leave people, and um, and this is this is the truth. I see this with a lot of entrepreneurs. And I think that inherently we're so hung up on failure that sometimes we just don't start because we want to do it. We want to be perfect, you know, and, and we want to launch something that looks perfect and that is absolutely perfect. And, and it's, it's impossible. And so I tell a lot of entrepreneurs that if you don't start somewhere, you'll never end up anywhere. And, and there's this paralysis around just getting started because mm-hmm. we're not sure if this is the right product, if it's you know the right price, the right niche, the right um, flavor, the right whatever. And and you know and you tell people, look, just start, launch it, and see what happens. Right? You might you might knock it out of the park right on your first swing. Doubt it, but you might. What will happen is if is if you miss, you're going to have to pay attention and understand why you missed, and then make the adjustments and pivot. But if you don't start somewhere, you'll never end up anywhere. And so it's been really fun because I think it's true for almost every entrepreneur is you launch a service, you launch a product, and you thought it was gonna deliver this, and instead consumers demanded that, and you know the rest is history. But you have yeah. to listen, and you have to be able to make adjustments, and you have to be able to take criticism, and you have to be able to pivot. And I think that's what separates, you know, entrepreneurs from business owners. A business owner is the way we do it. This is the way it's always been done. This is the way that I learned and this is the way we're going. And an entrepreneur is like, whoa, 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 this isn't working. This isn't working. Okay, let's let's change this. Let's try that. Okay. And then you just keep kind of moving. And I think that's I think that's really important. That's really great advice, Justin. And, and to validate it for you on the spot. For anybody that's listening out there, I would encourage you to go to the Justin's Justin's website, go to the About Us page, and take a look at the first jar of, of Justin's butter. Um, it's come <laughs> a long way. It, it's come a long way in the last twenty or so years. But but seriously, I mean, it started from from a jar that you had in your fridge or, or on the counter, and um, now we have this wonderful piece of work and an incredible company behind you. So. Justin, thanks again for coming on today. It was, it was absolutely my pleasure to, to sit down with you and interview you, and I hope to stay in touch. Thanks, Jake. Hope to have you in Colorado. See you, buddy. Hey, this is Jake. Uh, thank you for listening to today's episode of Finding Your Niche. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, I hope you have a great rest of your week, and I'll see you next time. Well, I won't actually see you, but you get the point. Have a great week.